Welcome to Verging on Greatness, a podcast about films that verge on greatness, but mostly just wallow in mediocrity, with your hosts, Mike Porkfeld and Craig Saventi. And we're hot. We are hot. Hot as what we are. We are pretty hot, that's true. <laughs> good evening. Good morning. Good, good afternoon. Good time. Good good day. Good, good day. Good so, evening. Good day. Good day, citizen. Good evening. Uh, my name is Mike. And I'm Craig. This is a podcast called Verging on Greatness. It is. It's a podcast where we talk about a movie that is just not quite as good as it should be. Uh, it could be better. What's wrong with that movie? Uh, maybe we could fix it. Maybe. What are some little things that you could do to actually turn this into a good movie? Where did they go wrong, people? Yeah, where did they go wrong? Today. Bit of a change of tack today, yep. change of pace, something a little bit different. We're shaking it up. We're going old school. Around. We're yep. going a bit old school. We're going way outside of Craig and I's normal taste. Comfort zone. <laughs> yep, yep. That's We're fun. doing Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink. 1986 classic John, or not quite a John Hughes. It's widely considered. I think it's just generally considered a John, a John Hughes, Hughes film. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's directed by Howard um, Deutsch or Dutch. Deutsch. I'm going with Deutsch. Um, but yeah, it's written by, yeah, I speak German. Uh, yeah, it looks like Deutsch to me. Um, and, uh, but it's written by Howard Hughes, uh, Howard Hughes, uh, (laughs) (laughs) how many, how many times? Oh, 45 time. minute podcast uh, Howard that's, Hughes that's one <laughs> Howard, that's one Howard Hughes that's going to be all night I'm mucking them yeah. down John Hughes yeah so uh, interesting movie so this was the you said this is the this is the third of the John Hughes Molly Ringwald yeah so there was three films collabs yeah effectively three films back to back which started with 16 Candles progressed into uh, Breakfast Club and then um, finally ended on Pretty in Pink yeah, so um, rich poor kind of divide centers on. So the main character Andy is a girl, uh, poor girl, a poor girl who quite literally lives on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. The film opens with a pan across the train tracks. <laughs> really, really jam that one home to to what can only be described as. Um, an 80s version of a poor white neighborhood so um, she still lives in a two-story house yeah. with a picket fence streets are clean streets are clean she's, uh, got, a, she's she, got her own car she's got her own car yeah it's, she's a, a single parent you never you never find out where what city she's in do you no do i you? figure it was la right i don't know or but all of those films all of those hughes films take place in a fictitious kind town of, called Shermer, Illinois, or something like that. Kind of nowhere's. Yeah, nowhere's. Yeah. It's meant to be Illinois, I, right. suppose, I suppose. But um, I got a I got a distinct LA vibe yeah. from this film. So she's a poor girl. <laughs> yeah, poor girl. And she falls in love with a uh, rich boy. <laughs> that classic story. Despite never talking to him. Yeah, or very having going on one date. They yeah, have one date. Yeah, they, so they yeah they they, they flirt a little bit, um, and then well they don't even flirt; they just look at each other. There's a lot of there's and, a lot of twilight level looking and lusting. Yeah, yeah. and then he and then he hits her up on the old school list and yeah. says messenger. Yeah, service. yeah, yeah. He he does some he does some improbable eighties hacking. Yeah, yeah. Gets, starts talking to her through a computer. Somehow, rather managed to get a professional headshot of her. The, fu- and- the future is now. Yeah, how did he do? That. How do you do that? Did you just pull just that off Facebook? Just held there. <laughs> I want to take my old 35mm camera and I want to take this professional photo of you and then 
somehow or other get that digitized or scanned into the computer and now i'm going to send it to you that kid is going to go on to invent fucking facebook yeah yeah so the, so the first the first uh takes about 26 minutes so the first act is is the leading up to him asking her out the will he will he won't he yeah he's uh, gonna get around to it she doesn't really have any agency in that regard but which i, I guess it is 1986 you can't really yeah i think it's pretty aggressive can you blame a movie in 1986 for no i don't think you can no i don't think it would fly today we'll get onto that some more in the ending as well the ending i think is is kind of trapped oh it's just awful but yeah anyway um but so um yeah prom is coming up she doesn't have a date for the prom and um, and at first she's not fussed by this like she she pretends like or she acts like she doesn't care that she doesn't get a date no but then, yeah, it's clearly a big deal. And in fact, and in fact, when he when he first so they she works in a record shop. Yeah, and, the coolest um, record shop in their, the world. Their first interaction, she actually she actually lays a sick burn on him. Yeah, because he's, <laughs> they're having a, they're having a kind of joke around because he. He, he brings up this terrible record. It's kind of, it's kind of cute, really. I kind of, I like, is this any good here? I like that yeah. scene. He brings up this terrible record and he says, hey, is this good? And she says, yeah, it's, it's totally hot. Yeah, it's what all the kids are listening to. And then he, he, he buys it. And then, and then I don't know if it's the fact... I don't know if she's ticked off by the fact that he can spend money on a, on a gag where, she, where like... Yeah. That, that's... If, if there's something in that that ticks her off. But, but she, she, gives him, she gives him this savage burn. She says paying with that with your amex platinum card um which is quite savage it is um and yeah just but it's, it is it is cool it, like it shows that she's got some balls well she's got moxie I, nice. I think in the 80s that would be moxie yeah yeah she's thank got you. moxie thank she's you got spunk that anachronism yeah. Yeah, spunk. yeah she's got spunk yeah she doesn't take no shit from no rich pretty boy. yeah pretty boy so that's so the pretty f- boy played by um 80s pretty boy andrew mccarthy i might yeah point out so pre fir- pre weekend at Bernie's, post mannequin. So, yeah, yeah. So the first the first act is the build up to her ask, him asking her out, and then the rest of the film. Uh, oh no, no! In the first act, we also get introduced to a very um, uh, quaffed um, James oh. Spader. Oh yes, that's, um, very that's quaffed. True. That he is sporting an impressive head of hair. Fabulous. He has fabulous hair in this film. Um, and he is fabulous just in general, James Spader. Yeah. Um, and he I think it actually pretty much the opening scene yeah, it is, is is him is him having a taking a crack at He's Andy. Hitting, hitting on Andy. Yeah, going, What's it gonna take to get into your frilly knickers? And she more or less tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. She and Fight classier language. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he's he's he also rich. Very rich. He's, he's rich. clearly meant to be rich. He's James Spader in the eighties. Yeah. He's rich. Yeah. Yeah. And she also she also has a um a counterpart, a sidekick, um, called Ducky. Ducky in um, a rubber performance by um Yeah. More on more on more on Ducky later. Um Um to say he carries the film is an understatement. Oh god. Um yeah. I am um, watching because uh, I've only this is only the second time I've seen it, and then the first time I saw it was maybe a year ago. My 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 now wife suggested we watch yeah. it, and um, John I, I knew John Cryer was in it. I knew who Ducky was before I had seen the film. Mm. I knew it was Molly Ringwald and Ducky, the guy who later would be in mm. Two and a Half Men, and yeah, I had heard about him, and I couldn't get over the fact how freaking amazeballs he was yeah. in this film. 
Having said that, he, he plays almost no part in the plot, despite the fact that yes. he's, he's, he's one, of, one of a handful of redeeming features. <laughs> he is he amazing. He doesn't really have any influence on the, on the plot. Um, so, uh, not long, so, so um, Joe Rich Dude asks Andy out, oh, um, and, oh, here's a name, Blaine. Blaine. They chose really good names. Oh, that's such an 80s name. Um, you might as well be named Gordon Blaine, Gecko. Blaine and Steph are the, are the rich, rich dude. <laughs> oh, names. is that is that his name? Steph. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. James Spader's yeah. name is Steph. Steph. Um, um, and Andy and Ducky Andy are the and poor ones. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, they chose great names for the characters. Um, so the second act kicks off, and they go on. They go on their date. Um, Ducky gets very annoyed because he's carrying his torch. Uh, well, he's not, so, even, so he's not Ducky, even carrying a torch. He openly hits on it. Yeah, yeah he openly hits he on it. It's, it's he, just part of their shtick. He had turned up so that the date was a bit fraught with difficulty as well because Ducky had managed to invite himself out with Andy that night as yeah. well. So he turns up to her place of work where he seemingly does that a lot. He turns up to her place yeah. of work. And um, then there's a moment where it looks like Andy's been stood up by um, Andrew McCarthy Blaine. Uh, only to then turn up at the a nick of time to save her from an evening, presumably with Ducky, which she seemingly seems to hang out with him all the time yeah. anyway. So they are reasonably good friends. Yeah, no, they're tight. They're pretty tight. Yeah. Even though she, even though she burns him occasionally and takes, like, she takes him to a, I don't know. They've no, got she a, goes to that club. She goes to, a, she goes to a club that he can't get into. He can't get into, and the doorman is. Um, uh, Andrew, um, uh, he's brain smasher, and he's also um, uh, Ford Fairlane. Uh, I forget his name right off the top of my head. Um, Andrew McCarthy. No, I'm going to Google this. All right. Well, this is a great podcasting. It's great podcasting. Um, I, I'm fully prepared. <laughs> um, walk, walk, walk. <laughs> Shut up! Walk I can Craig, edit this out. While Craig does that, I'm going to carry on with the story. Andrew um, Dice Clay. I knew it was an Andrew. Thank you. We got that. welcome. His name's actually. Because he has the dice on his shirt. Yeah, that's Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, is that like a thing? Yeah, yeah. He was a comedian slash... Um, oh, he was a stand-up comedian. Um, and uh, he had a okay. short-lived TV film thing of his own, right? So um, so they have their date. They have, so they have a they have a kind of... Oh, yeah, Ducky. So Ducky's very upset. But they she she kind of ditches Ducky and she goes on a date with Joe Rich Dude. And um, they have a kind of rich date, poor date, night. Kind of... That's right. Reminded me of Titanic. <laughs> where they have yeah, the, where they had the they fancy have the rich, dinner. The rich yeah, date, they have the rich date, poor date. So they, they they do that, except essentially nothing happens on either the rich date or the, or poor, the poor date. Day. In fact, it's a pretty shitty date overall because they go to a party which is at the rich dude Steph's house, played by James Spader, and that's awful all the way around. And yeah. um, they end up, and Andrew McCarthy uh, very craftily uh, gets her to agree to going upstairs with a six pack of beer and a pack of chips. Yeah. Um, and then they wind up in a room, which is Steph's room, and he's up there with some. Uh, with a with a the tart who with a tart who hates the awful person Andy. yeah who have you seen Battlestar Galactica the TV series no um, she goes on to be um, Colonel Ty's wife I can't remember her name right now but she okay. is fantastic as his wife later right. in life she is awful there in the best way possible but um, so they go so they go on the so they have this they have this crappy date yep um, and we'll, yeah more on more on the date in a bit um, they have this crappy date and then. Basically, oh, they, um, 
At the end of the day, he offers to he offers to take her home. She says she, she doesn't want him to take her home. Oh, is this big? Eventually, it comes out that she doesn't want him to take her home because she doesn't want him to see where she lives. As if she lives in the worst yeah. possible, because she lives right by the train tracks, right? So that bec- that becomes part of the part, kind of the midpoint where you, you where the the reality of the challenge of these relationships kind of hits them, and then um, and then then the story really falls off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they lose all semblance of forward direction then and it, it descends into a bunch of just a succession of succession of scenes that don't really hang together in any way uh part of part of the problem is that ducky stops talking yeah um, and ducky turns into this moping character yeah, that stalks he, her a little bit he doesn't talk for basically the second half of the film which is a which is why it feels about three times as long as the first half right um you know she has a they she and blaine they do they have another date but they they start talking about they talk about their parents and how their parents will react and he talks about how bummed out his parents will be and i think that that's that's kind of a continuation of the realization it's supposed to be the realization of how difficult this relationship is going to be and then she has a pointless fight with her dad and then well, it's not completely pointless because it's supposed to be about unrequited love. Yeah, and the, the also um, Blaine is told by Steph that, you know, he can have his wicked way with her, but ultimately mm. he needs to be with better people. Um, and then there's a, yeah. a scene where, where, she, where he won't... She has, a, is it, she has a fight with her dad or something, something happens and she tries to get a hold of Blaine and he won't answer the phone. And, yeah, because as, as a result of that conversation with Steph, he stops answering her calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then she confronts him. She confronts him in the school hall and he, um, he backs out because he's asked her to the prom previously. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Ba- he backs out of it and it's, it's kind of the all is lost um yeah tra- lowest moment of the transition yeah. transition point into the third act and she um you know she she drags herself up and, yeah uh, uh, and with a little help from any the the amazing any Potts. ducky ducky has a pointless punch up with steph and they haven't actually met at this point or seemingly had any interaction, had any interaction yeah. whatsoever yeah um, um and then and then yeah so uh andy kind of she lifts herself back up. Her dad buys her a dress for the prom, and um, she, she asks and she to... borrows another dress from a friend of hers. So just on that, so she, her friend, played by Annie Potts, who um, I, I spent a little bit of time trying to work out how much older she was. But at one point, she says she's fifteen years older, and we we know that Andy is is eighteen, so that makes her what like. 32 yeah um so she's hanging around so this 32 year old's hanging around with a 17 year old and um they work together they work together and um she's she's having boyfriend problems of her own and and that's a reoccurring theme for um the annie potts character i think her name is ioni or Iona. um, iona thank you um and uh she then during a scene where they're hanging out and and discussing all their life's woes um Iona then gets into her prom dress, which is this beautiful late 50s, early 60s pink number that she expresses undying love for um, and and thinks it's the most amazing thing she owns. Um, uh, Andy asks... Even though she's essentially a punk. 
Even though she's essentially punk, yeah, and she's yep. got, and there's a scene where she's all dressed up in her prom dress, and she's got the beehive yeah. hairdo on, yeah. and she's reminiscing. She's she's um, she's ODing on her own nostalgia at this point. Yep. Uh, Andy later, prior to the prom scene, and uh, about the same time she's given a, a pink dress by her dad, asks to borrow um, Iona's prized prom dress. Yeah, which she then proceeds to cut up. So she, yeah. <laughs> The, the her her kind of her final her final act of bravery her her fuck you act, to everyone having been having been been shit on in the in the second half of the second act she um she makes the prom dress because she's it's a it's a big part of Andy's character is that even though she's poor she she dresses well she's got a cool sense she's of got style, her own sense of style and she makes her own clothes and so she kind of owns it. Which is, it's a redeeming quality in her character. I like that. I like that about her, that it's part of her moxie, right? That she doesn't, she doesn't just put up with being poor. Um, she has, um, you know, she does what she can to, to look good and to feel good. Yeah. Cause someone makes a point earlier on in the film. I mean, we can talk about the, or we can talk about the fashion now if you like, but. Well, we're going to, we'll we get through the rest of the story. Yeah. Um, so Stay she, on point, Mike. Yeah. Stop taking us off track. So she makes her so she so she, make, she makes her prom dress, and that's and that's her by cutting up her best friend. Her, by, yeah, by cutting it's, up her best girlfriend's it's prized prom dress. Kind of unfortunate. So that she you has said to, before her defiant action, her big fuck you to the world was to say fuck you to her best friend. Yeah. and cut up her prom dress. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I thought through what the friend. I don't was think. Yeah, say. I don't. I don't know if anyone's really thought this through. But if you tried to cut up my favorite hoodie, Mike, yeah. you'd be blood on the floor. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna it's say. never really. It's never really clear like and she they could have made it a lot clearer in the script like can i have it and can like, i have it yeah and you I, may as well and iona could have said could have said take it i don't want it i've, I've moved on because she, she, she's got a new bow at this point she says she could have they, the they, pet store guy but yeah they could have made it quite clear and she could have said i don't need it anymore i'm you know i'm, I'm moving on i'm moving I'm putting on I'm childish moving things up. behind and me. then she could have then she could have taken it and done what she wanted with it but <laughs> but and she really does <laughs> she really does acquire from an Iona in a way that implies that it's borrowed. Yeah, she's meant to be giving this thing back. Iona's going to want that shit back. And it's not like she modifies it in such a way as that she can repair it easily. No, oh, she, she cuts can, that yeah, thing she up. She carves it up. And so she, so she makes, she makes the dress, and she, um, you know, she goes to the prom alone. So, and that's, uh, you know, that's her, um, her, that's her catharsis. Yeah, that's that's her kind of getting getting through this and summoning up the courage and uh, uh what phrase does she use she says to her dad i'm, I'm not going to let them beat me mm. um she says she says i'm going to go in and then i'm going to show my face and then i'm going to leave and yeah then, yeah and then, I'm, and then they're going to know that they haven't beat i'm me. just going to let the, them know the bastards aren't going to get me down yeah which yep. you know is all right and so she turns up she doesn't want to go inside and then um, yeah she's loitering in the she loiters, in the, she loiters in the lobby in and the lobby she sees, she sees ducky and um uh they are redeemed for no reason and um he you know he offers her his arm and they walk in together the freaks the outsiders yeah, yeah. they walk in together and the, more on a, that later there's a lot of raised eyebrows <laughs> and then uh ducky points out so um uh, blaine, blaine blaine comes and says he's looking really different i might add comes, comes and <laughs> <laughs> like he's aged no like he's lost a bunch of weight and he's got different hair yeah <laughs> he, so he, he comes up to her and he he, he apologizes <laughs> in his way and um walks off and then ducky points out 
but he, he came without a date. He's come, al- he's come alone. Yeah. Um, so he hasn't flicked her off. He's actually, you know, that's that represents that he's actually kind of he's been meaningfully hurt by what's happened, and and so and and so Ducky, you know. Gives her the posh out the door to go and yeah, and his final and, blessing, like you know, I'm, and, I'm yeah. releasing you, my hold over you. Please yeah. go be with go this douchebag, Passionman, Passionman, yeah, the car park, douchebag yeah. in the car park, which she in front of his BMW, and then for for no reason, a absolutely stunning, the most beautiful woman in the film turns around. You've never seen her before, but she starts a, giving a film, I believe, film debut for Kirsty Swanson. Uh, Get, Stop it! You shut know, the front door. You looked up. I looked it up. It's <laughs> Kirsty Swanson, uh, who would later go on to play um, Buffy in the Buffy the Vampire film. Oh, Kirsty Swanson. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so noted nineties hottie, Kirsty Swanson. Out of out of nowhere, she turns around and starts giving Ducky the eye, and he does this. <laughs> and, and at that point, he does the single greatest moment in the film, <laughs> which is he barrels the, <laughs> the camera. camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting some, yo. <laughs> Are you seeing this? Are you shit? seeing this? Shit? <laughs> Eighty-three minutes, <laughs> fourth wall firmly in place. You think you're nearly done? But uh, you're at the no. end. No. <laughs> John Cryer barrels the camera. John Cryer barrels the camera. This wanted, is a reoccurring theme for John Cryer. Have you watched any of Two and a Half Men? Certainly, certainly not. Um, I I confess I've seen a bit of Two and a Half Men, um, but there's. And John Cryer frequently picks up women way hotter than John Cryer should be able to pick up. Um, and that's a reoccurring theme in that show with him practically barreling the camera with this character just throwing themselves at John mm. Cryer. Yeah. So poor John Cryer. <laughs> I think he's deserved of more. But yeah. yeah. All right. So that's that's the story. Why don't we talk about John Cryer while we're on, while we're on John Cryer? John Cryer deserves an award for this movie. He is, without a doubt... The best thing about it. Is it even that good or is it that the rest of the movie is No, so he bad? is legit good. Like that whole bit where he gets thrown into the bathroom and he's like, you've got doors on the stalls. Oh, and he turns yeah. around and he's looking at the tampon machine going, you have a candy machine? Candy machine. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he ad-libbed that. So he yeah. is amazing in this yeah, film. He is that. so good. And that bit where he comes in and he's doing the lip syncing in the um, in the record oh, store. Oh yeah, try a little tender now. Oh my god, that is so good. Yeah. He is amazing. It just it runs on and on that scene, and you can see that the director just, you know, in the editing room, going, "Could we cut that bit? No. Could we cut that bit? No. 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 That's all. It's all going. going in. That's gold. That's that. This, this movie sequence is lasting for five minutes. Will we will cannot... lose its relevance in twenty five <laughs> years time when the people who watch it as children and teenagers today get too old to appreciate it. But that scene will live on. When they're playing films of the 80s, when they're playing scenes from films in the 80s and montages, it will include a montage. It it will include that in the montage. It is is an iconic scene, and it is amazing. And he is amazing. And he leaves nothing... Um, out of that it's, performance it's like the, the the Barry Manilow scene in Breakfast Club yep does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the high point of the film that it is it is it is almost akin to Michael Jackson moonwalking for the first mm. time as far as I'm concerned um, it, it is it is Neil Armstrong on the moon um, it is that is how fucking hot that scene is the, yeah. the whole movie could be based around his, that scene his whole yeah 
why didn't they make a sequel or something with him? You'd they could have made a movie. A, they could have made a ducky another movie, movie, a ducky movie, a spin-off, a ducky spin-off, a I ducky spin-off. That. I would watch the fuck out of that. Yeah. yeah, I would. I would. I would love watch that film on my wedding night. And he's he's even you see his bedroom. He's even poorer than Andy. Yeah, he's, he sleeps on a mattress on the on floor. the floor. The and he's got graffiti on the he's, wall. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, Proper poor. Proper poor. Yeah, he's like, I can't afford to wash my clothes poor. Whereas Andy is just poor in name only because yeah. she is living it big. She's got a nice room, all of it pink. They've um, got a dog. They've got a dog. Dad still has enough money to day drink. Um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're poor. They complain a whole bunch about their mum up and leaving. Um, but yeah, no, I don't get it. No, not understood. Do not understand. And then, so, okay, so can we talk about... Can we, while we're talking about Ducky, the ending. Oh my god. Tell us about the ending, Craig. So, originally this film was um, written and shot so that Ducky and Andy wind up together at the end. And uh, when test audiences saw that for the first time, and um, apparently even... this is Some of this is to be partly landed at Molly Ringwald's feet. Um, audiences didn't like it. They wanted her to wind up with the pretty boy. Molly Ringwald had told John Hughes... Um, should I say Howard Hughes? No, John Hughes had told John Hughes that she didn't see Ducky as um, a love interest. She saw him as a brother um, and that she really, really liked Andrew McCarthy, like really liked him. So um, they quickly took this film and they reshot the ending um, and they had to get um, Andrew McCarthy back who had gone to New York um, and he was prepping to be in a play and had shaved his hair and had lost a bunch of weight. Um, they had to get him back so that in the final scene of this film, if you think his hair looks strange, it's because he's wearing a wig and he's he's lost about 10 pounds, 10 or 15 pounds. He's mm. noticeably more gaunt. And uh, they had to reshoot this thing, uh, which for me changes the entire emotional end of this film. The film is set up almost, almost exclusively, um, seemingly, for Ducky to wind up with Andy. Um, and I, I, have a, I have a theory that modern audiences, or even at the time, Andy shouldn't have been with anyone. I think that's something... You would oh, agree with. Yeah, it's it's easy easy now to, to say the, she, ob, the obvious answer is that she doesn't belong with either of these either guys. Either of these guys. Her perfect guy Neither of them is wrong with her, but her perfect guy is, is, is somewhere off, else. Is yeah. off in her future or in college. Her, she's yeah. fucking, she's like 17 years old. Yeah, she's off to college next she, year. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't, the movie doesn't need to end. With her, with, her with the meeting, guy. Yeah. Meeting her perfect man, but this is 1986. Uh it's a bit more, a bit more of a fairy tale kind of. <laughs> it's morning in America, apparently. Time, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't know. So the, the ending for me is just it's it's the ultimate bait and switch, as far as I'm concerned. If it was, and I mean, you could almost <laughs> a few changes in this movie could be about Ducky. Oh, one hundred percent. Then you would think. Then you would think he should get the girl at the end. Yeah, as yeah, yeah. As, as long as it's about Andy, she shouldn't wind up with with either of them. But I, I agree. I, I can understand why in 1986, you know, they they said, well, she's got to wind up with one of them. Yeah, because you can't have a female protagonist not wind up with a guy and, at the end of yeah, the film, right? And on, on on balance, it might as well have been might as well have been Blaine. I think I don't think I would have been happy if she wound up with Ducky either. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I really like the Ducky character, and I really I identify with the Ducky character. Um, yeah, he's wrong for he's wrong for Andy though. But... Yeah, I, I don't think she really wants to be with either of those people. I think yeah, like you say, she wants to be with somebody else, and mm. it's it's not 
It's not. Um, it's not either of those two people. No, I. I this ending. I don't like this ending. Yeah. I. I don't buy the Blaine character. I think. Um, I think mm. there's a story at heart here where it's about um, uh, wanting what society wants you to want, and is wanting what your heart wants you to want. And so I feel like in the writer's mind, John Hughes. He wants Andy to wind up with Ducky. Ducky is John Hughes. He's that weird kid at school. Mm. He's he he dresses strangely. Yeah. He's poor. He's you know he's, yeah, he's you could compare him with with any any other of a dozen directors from that time. Absolutely, Steven Spielberg, um, George Lucas, George Lucas um, Francis Ford Coppola. Maybe not him. I, I'm sure that guy was swimming on money from day one, but. Um, he seems like he was, but yeah, no, I agreed. He he could be any of these guys. So Ducky is John Hughes, and I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know what John Hughes where, where he went to school. Mm. I don't know how rich he was, but um, it seems to me he's making a, he's 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 got a message about these rich kids. They're awful people, and um, and I mean, this is eighty six America, so this is the height of Reagan. Um, so. Yeah. There is a, I think there's a, so there's an economic, socio-economic message in here as well about yeah, these poor right. people, and it's and it's it's very difficult to watch it now and and really really imagine a time when it was so easy and and and, and it was believable that a rich person could be so callous and so cruel and so dismissive of a poor person. poor person, yeah. Uh, but looking at it now, who is that... who is who is on the, on, on the outside and on the inside you know andy is 100 percent likable she, yeah there's nothing to dislike about her dresses great she, she looks great it's she makes her like own a, clothes she's smart she's yeah. um she's got her own agenda it's she's, like she's Donnie, going to college it's not like a donnie darker situation where he's handsome but he's a weirdo yeah yeah and yeah so he gets he gets kind of a hard time Ugh. from the bullies yeah um, and she's got her own set of bullies which is um kate vernon and gina gershon um, Gershon um, and so they're the, the atypical alpha girls yeah. at school and, and they don't like her and they they find ways to make her life hell and there's a scene with the teacher where they the teacher comes to punish the, the, the yeah. pretty girl the rich girls and then um, Andy finds a way to subvert that and like mm. she's she's not a snitch and it's like this whole weird thing like I just I don't know what they're trying to get at there. Yeah. Like they're trying to show she's got character. She's not. She's not going to snitch. She's not going to run to the authorities or run to the teacher to sort out a problem. Yeah. She's going to solve her own problems. But then they totally un- they totally undermine that at the end where she has to be with a guy. Yeah, yeah, and she can't. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know if that. I don't know if that kind of rich poor divide would have played well. At, played better at the time, and it only looks bad in hindsight. Yeah. Or if it was half-assed at the time as well. I don't know. It feels like, kind of half-assed because they met, there are other films and in, in that time period that go for the jugular more on that socio-economic yeah. divide. Um, and I just think ultimately this film is a is a is, a, is designed to please a very particular audience yeah. member. And if they can get some color in there at the same time, then yeah. why not? There's there's something about that whole conflict that drives that drives that second act that just it doesn't ring true no and it's you mentioned it in blaine's character where his character is not convincing um and andy's character is not particularly i guess she's got a bit more to work with because the rich kids are openly mean to her for no reason where, yeah where the yeah. only person who is mean to blaine is ducky is ducky 
Um, so, so oh, and Steph's kind of a, a dick to him as well, but only because he's oh, he's, yeah. he's threatening to go out of his yeah. lane. The like, only poor person who was mean to blame. Is, yeah, is, is Ducky. But everybody um, else is amazing to him. Yeah, like they so, go to that nightclub, which is ostensibly meant to be the poor nightclub, which seems yeah. like the place I would hang out. I would want to go there. Um, and I don't know why any of those rich kids aren't going there because they're clearly serving drinks to underage people. And yeah. like, I guess the rich kids, that's not a problem for them. Um, they're just raiding their parents' liquor cabinets. Yeah. But um, there's yeah, there's something in that conflict that doesn't ring true yeah. for me. So I think I think so. Blaine has less less to work with, and a lot of I think his Andy's conflict is quite open. She has antagonists. Blaine doesn't, and his conflict is really internal. And he even says it to, um, towards the end. He he says, <clears throat> it, "Oh, it is actually it is at the end. It is at the at the at the prom." He says. It wasn't that I didn't believe in you. I always believed in you. I didn't believe in me. Right. So his conflict is very internal. He's very... <clears throat> he's not convinced that he himself has has the courage to make this work. Right. Um, the fortitude. But, the the yeah, strength of character the to date a poor girl who looks like Molly who, Ringwald yeah. in 1986. But he... Yeah. He doesn't carry that. The, the actor doesn't carry that in the rest of the film. He kind of just looks like he's staring yeah yeah he has got that thousand yard stare and for, a, for a lot of it. for a lot and of the so time i think yeah i think there's a lot that's lost in lost in the the performance he, or he just he needs something to push against yeah he needs he needs an anti, he needs an antagonist who is not ducky because ducky is ducky is his antagonist because he's, he's a, the he's other a, member of that love he's frame. a romantic competitor yeah, competitor. Not, not yeah. because of who Blaine is or what he represents. So Although Blaine there is there is discussion between Andy and Blaine, uh, Andy and um, Ducky about um, they talk about them, the, the mm. them, the rich, and so the school that they're at. This so I, think, I don't think we've touched. Oh, yeah. yeah, the school that they're at is um, there's a scene where the principal is talking to Andy about something that's happened. And he's more or less telling her to take it easy because she's already got her scholarship to some fancy university, um, you know, um, yeah. city on the hill. And you get a sense that, that she's at she's the school because of this. Because of this, That's of a scholarship. Yeah. Because they, there's something about how, you know, you're at the school because we want to give people a chance. And it's this whole um, <laughs> trickle down sort of thing where it's like, hey, the rich people are taking pity on you. Yeah. That's why you're here. And so I guess it's set up that this is a rich school in a rich neighborhood or possibly even a private school yeah. um, that she is at. And Ducky is somehow also at because Ducky is also poor. But then there's, they go, there's yeah. a scene where they go outside um, and there's all these punk kids because it's the 80s, I yeah. guess. And there's hundreds of them. There's, yeah. there's dozens. There's almost there's more misfits than, than there, there are, are yuppies. Like yeah, the, the, the misfits could absolutely take over. Uh, they the should. They, they would take over that school. Yeah. I don't. I don't know why they feel like they're being oppressed. But maybe there's maybe the same. Hey, maybe there's something there with the like the rich ten percent as it would have been in the eighties, and the rest of us are all just poor mm, underneath. Yeah. But I don't know. But there's something just like weird about that, and the fashion. Um, my my partner, she's she's quite the fashionista wife wife sorry um she's quite the fashionista and um she when we were watching this uh, the both times i've watched it i've been with her a couple of things that that gets her up and out of her chair is one the cutting up of the dress and turning it into what she calls the gunny sack um because she thinks the the dress as it was was amazing she didn't need to change it she could have worn that dress and been yeah. the draw of every eye in the place 
um, but she turns it into this awful shapeless gunny sack. Um, and two, she doesn't understand why no one likes her fashion because she is dressed amazingly yeah. throughout the entire yeah. thing. She is so 80s, it hurts. She yeah. is more 80s than the two Mondrian posters she has in her bedroom. Yeah. She is so 80s that 80s BMW yeah. is screaming at it to stop being so 80s. Yeah, she's 100%, 100% style. Yeah, she is Madonna yeah. in a Madonna video. She yeah. is so 80s. Um, and I don't understand the, the fashion in this just kind of irks me. And so my, my, my wife, she's into 50s fashion. So she's really big into 50s fashion. And she goes op shopping. And so 50s fashion is really hard to find. So having gone around a couple of op shops, uh, I know what you find in these secondhand stores. You find fashion that's about 20 years old. Why isn't Andy in 60s gear? Late 60s, yeah. early 70s gear. Why isn't she in stuff from that era? Tie-dyed. Yeah, well, yeah, I would have thought. The tie-dye, the hippie thing might have been... That would have been kind of cool, I guess. But like in 60s, you know, 60s garb, like, yeah. you know, that would have made... She does wear pearls at one point, I suppose. Yeah, someone could... calls her out on the pearls. Yeah. The one thing I one thing I wondered about that, and I'm I, yeah, I'm really reaching here. This is w- way out of two subjects that that I <laughs> I avoid learning about as much as I can. One is the eighties, and one is fashion. Um, <laughs> but if I, I can go out on a, go out on a limb and and make make what is potentially a very dumb statement. Um, I got the impression that a lot of the a lot of the stuff about the fashion is conveyed in the color. Yeah, so um, it's that that eighties. Um, so because she wears, yeah, yeah, she wears the pinks and the pastels. Well, she's where... she's in like browns largely with the she's got browns and there's the yeah she's big on pink. But yeah, it's it's brighter and the rich kids you notice it particularly with Blaine and with Steph and yep. also with the women whites. Yeah, and Steph or, and Steph and Blaine whites. they're in suits a lot of the time. So Steph. Yeah particularly he's in suits in fact in fact at one point he's doing a full-on don johnson i think he's got the loafers with the no socks and yeah. um but yeah that's james spader i'm pretty sure yeah. james spader just turned up to set wearing whatever it was he was wearing they were like yep shoot that believe so, that i uh, believe that um which is, shows what a great performance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i just like james spader <laughs> so i wonder and even 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 the fact even the fact that she has this she has this bright red hair i, I kind of feel like that's it's the fact that she wears colors that mm. stands out. Well, she has primary color, colors. Yeah. Primary colors, yeah. Where yeah. everyone, everyone else is in these really light. That's the the go. And the huge shoulders and the weird and the weird yeah. um, the weird necklines and the the, yeah. the I'm going to call them proto hammer pants um, where they're like shapeless and baggy. Yeah, yeah. Um, make, I don't know. Make a note, folks. This is Craig and Mike <laughs> talking about. Fashion costume. <laughs> <laughs> it it yeah. rarely happens, yeah. unless we're talking about superhero garb. But yeah, you've, yeah. Yeah, you've seen it here. <laughs> now, you've, now you've seen it. Really. Now you've seen it all. Um, yeah, and it's, um, the, the, I think there's something that they miss. A, they miss a trick with uh, making her stand out, and how they make her stand out. Where they try and they try and do it through the the way she the way she looks and the way she dresses, and yep. maybe that would have worked if. If you know closer to the time, if you, if if we were more in tune with that eighties fashion, maybe that was obvious. But the movie that does this really well that it made me think of the scent of a woman, right? Where Chris O'Donnell's character at the start of the film. Um, so he's same situation. He's yeah, a he's poor, a poor kid, poor kid who's got a scholarship to a rich school, and it is set up absolutely brilliantly, and it it, it, it makes it even more obvious, and it makes it even more heartfelt. The scene, it's I think it's the first scene in the film where he's at the school 
um, and it's the last day of last day of school before holidays, and all the all the kids are rushing around and goofing around, and he's standing at a job ad board, right, right, for right, for jobs, and no one else is showing any interest. They've got the it's like the tag, yeah, yeah, the the tags that you can pull rip the tag off, off, all the tags, yeah. There. None of these kids need fucking jobs. <laughs> they they, <laughs> they go to their summer houses. <laughs> They're going to go play yeah. polo. They're going to Europe. Go they're going to they're going to go and, bum around fact, France. I think it's a skiing. I think it's a skiing trip that the other kids are going on. Oh There's right, the, and he can't um, go. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, um, poor Philip Seymour. And Hoffman. he can't go because he's got to work. And and that's they're on the phone, you know, at, at certain points throughout the movie, trying to get him along to the ski trip. Um, uh, but he can't because he's got to work. And and it's it's just it does the opposite of what Pretty in Pink does, where it's so much more poignant that that he is the rich, he is the poor kid in this rich school because he looks exactly the same as all the other kids. He's yeah, wearing yeah, he's yeah. dressed exactly the same. He looks exactly the same, but you feel his isolation, and it's just in this one shot where he's looking at the job board and all of his friends, or well, friends, the, he says with air quotes, yeah. are, are running off to have fun somewhere. It would just, it would make no sense. The, the job board is just invisible to these kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, summer work. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but that's the difference between, you know, a, a, a competent, talented director <laughs> like Martin Brest yeah. and, um, and someone like John Deutsch, um, who really kind of went on to do a whole lot of everything, but nothing of actual note. So yeah. I don't think any of his films are winning Oscars anytime soon. But yeah. I mean, it's a competent film. It's put together well. It's an interesting. The, the soundtrack for this would have been big in the day. Um, surely, the soundtrack alone would have warranted the film's production because it, it features like a whole host of '80s songs that were mm. notable at the time. I did like um, uh, my my wife pointed this out, um, and uh, we had to watch it again. But at the end of the film, they play um, "If You Leave" by Orchestral Movements in the Dark, uh-huh. and that starts the prom scene. It. it, it fades in from the the scene immediately before where she's telling the dad that she's going to go there and tell him what's what and she's going to leave um, mm. it starts in there and then that song is as four three minutes 40 long or four minutes long tops that scene end scene goes for over eight minutes that song plays through the entirety <laughs> of that eight minutes so it starts when they go in they're all dancing to it it's clearly meant to be diegetic because they're shouting over yeah. the top of it and they're dancing in tune to it and it goes for eight minutes i'm yeah. just gonna say if you hired those djs <laughs> you should fire them they are terrible djs yeah that song goes for way too long oh and again with the like the wrong side of the tracks thing i, I don't know if they had I don't know if they had decided before that scene. I don't know um, whether they had decided like the, the end scene of this film was going to be played over If You Leave by Orchestral Movements in mm. the Dark. I don't know if that was the case. But the scene opens with two DJs with gear they don't need to be using in front of a huge blown up picture of an orchestra in black and white. And I, I don't know if it was intentional or just happy coincidence, but if it was intentional... Fuck you. <laughs> Honestly, just fuck you with your blatant, obvious symbolism. Fuck you right in your ear. That's all I've got to say. If you're listening to this now, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> okay. One more, one more thing. Tell me about the dad. Oh my God. Harry Dean Stanton. So I love Harry Dean Stanton. He was in Alien. Um, he was in, uh, he was in the Avengers movie. He finds the Hulk and he's like, Hey, you seem to have some anger problems. And it's like, ha, Harry Dean Stanton made a funny. Um, but 
he he's a he's an out of work. He lies to Andy a bunch of times about trying to get a job, or he's been out today looking for a job, or he's, yeah. you know he's going and he's going to go down to the office. And ultimately, it sounds like he doesn't want a job. And his wife left him three years earlier. And I don't know if he was like this when she left him, or if he is like this as a result of her leaving him. Yeah. But if it was the former, I understand why she left him. He's a drop. Beat. He's a drop kick. He's a deadbeat. Yeah. So. Andy is going. He's not a drop beat. <laughs> he's a, he, didn't, he didn't drop the beat. <laughs> he didn't drop the beat. <laughs> um, he wouldn't let the beat drop. No. Um, so he's dead. Yeah. Wherever it needs to go. <laughs> he would. He would land it on cue. Is all I would yeah. say. Harry Dean Stanton. He's the man. Um, but. He is day drinking at home. There's a scene where Ducky comes around and Ducky tells him he's going to marry Andy and, you know, he's just seeking his permission and, and he's, he's humoring him. He's like, oh, that's good for you. I like that. That's very nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton. Um, and he, um, but he's day drinking and he's not working. And yeah. he's, I don't know where he's getting his money from. And Andy is leaving to go to college the next year somewhere else because yeah. he says you're going to leave me when you go to your fancy school yeah and i i i want to see the sequel to this movie that happens six months to the day after this film does because he is homeless he has lost that house he is drinking yeah meths on the street yeah and one of those rich kids is going to run him over in a bmw and <laughs> <laughs> their 320 bmw yeah. and no one's going to be charged for that crime there's going to be like tragic accident <laughs> he, he homeless really, guy ran over four times he really gets no redemption he's yeah there's nothing there's nothing good they have that argument no where he's, she's like, you need to, to get your life together. You need to get over her because yeah. she got over us. And, yeah. and and he's like, yeah, I've got to do that. Like, he doesn't got to do that. He, he doesn't, doesn't do get shit. that. He's humoring her. He wants yeah. her to fuck off. I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't need that. to hear this from a 17-year-old. What do you know about hard times? Yeah. You live in a beautiful two-story house with a white picket fence and you have your own car. What do you know about hard times, pretty and pink Molly Wingwald? Yeah. Nothing! <laughs> you think your life's hard because they give you a hard time with that clothes god damn you woman <laughs> he is 100% dead a year from this film do you do you buy that I, I think you, you gotta be right he must have been like that beforehand no one would take their wife leaving them well, oh, oh maybe I guess, you, I guess you maybe either way I don't know. I, I've known some guys to take breakups pretty. I've, I've taken breakups pretty hard, but um, he's taken like but three ne- years hard. Ne- yeah, neither of them. Neither of them ho- holds much promise for a recovery for him. If it's been three years, whether or not it was triggered by the wife leaving, or or if it's been like that the whole time, he's he's not coming back. I mean, that it is. is that it guy's is. that guy's only going to live as long as as long as Andy. Yeah, once she alive. goes, yeah, he that's him. He's drinking himself to death. Yeah. He becomes Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. 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 Dark. <laughs> <laughs> so what about what about Steph? What happens to Steph? So Steph doesn't really get his come up on. So like he's the no. he's the primary antagonist in this film, if there is one. Oh. There there isn't a really hard antagonist, no. but if there was they, one it would be it would be the James Spader character. The, yeah, the implied... I think the implied thing that's going to happen to... St- I don't know. Uh, her showing up in the, at the prom in this amazing-looking dress is supposed to be... Uh, amazing. Supposed to be... He says this, with air quotes. Because that thing does not look good. Yeah. Supposed to be the sick... The, the, the burn on, on all the rich kids that makes them... Do they you know, care? 
think about Andy the turned up. Well, what do you fucking do? I don't think any of them care at all. It is a pretty... He does get it pretty hard from Blaine, who realises at the end that the reason Steph has been giving Andy so hard a time is because she wouldn't bang him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he nails it. So Blaine, Blaine finally figures this out. Yeah. Um, yeah, she realises... Uh, you're you ain't worth shit and what you realize is that you uh, you know you're not worth yeah you, you know you're not worth shit uh, words to that effect um you you know you ain't shit i don't think that really hits home for steph no fuck no he's gonna he's gonna crush does, another six pack he's gonna does, go home and cry into his mountains of money do some do some, do some coke <laughs> he's gonna do coke's a thing fuck two gorgeous blondes <laughs> Kate Vernon doesn't care. Although he's trying to get it on with Kate Vernon in that scene and she's all like, you know, let's go upstairs to our room and she's all like, no, we're, we're at the thing, you know, and she doesn't really care. She just wants to chit-chat with Gina Groshen or whatever. Uh, okay. Yeah. There is a chance, I'll give you this, there is a chance that Steph will turn into Patrick Bateman. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he will. Oh, what were those rich twins in the 80s that murdered their parents? That's what he becomes next. Uh, yeah. He's just like, Mummy and Daddy won't buy me a new 7 Series. I don't know if he's smart enough to become Patrick Bateman. <laughs> I, think that's, I, think that's the I don't think he's buff enough. Oh, it is, it is 80s um, uh, uh, James Spader. He was he was pretty good looking in the dude 80s. Was, dude was hot. Yeah, he was hot. Yeah. yeah, if I was going to turn for somebody in the 80s, it would probably be James Spader. <laughs> Yeah, he was looking good. And he never buttoned up his shirt. No, that thing was permanent. Like, it didn't own buttons. Like, those yeah. buttons, they were, they were negatives, or positives and negatives, and they weren't going to be attracted. Yeah, that was yeah. a good look. Yeah, it was a top, hot look. <laughs> All right. Any, anything more to say on Pretty Pink or Pretty in Pink, or are we wrapping this up? Can we talk once more about how fucking awesome Ducky is? Ducky, John Cryer in this film. How John Cryer didn't yes. come out of this movie with a with a, a movie with him being wacky in an 80s yeah. wacky kind of a way um like the the the, the felt the quarries or, yeah. or something like that. how yeah. he didn't have a movie where it was him being wacky and and like jim carrey of the 80s i do not know how do you think that how do you think the campness came across in the 80s i don't think it, it was, was it certainly wasn't it was quite it wasn't it, it certainly so it's not quite effeminate but no, it's... no, he's, but he's he's definitely he's definitely a, a, a cis white male. He's definitely hetero. He's he's into Andy. He wants to bang Andy. Okay, well, if it wasn't for wanting to bang Andy, would you? If he never if he never talked about wanting to bang Andy, oh, and film, just would like... you assume he was straight, or would you assume he was gay? Oh, he might be. He might be. He might be playing for both teams. Maybe. Mm. Maybe he's a bit pan. Maybe he's a bit bi. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He's certainly dressed better than anybody else in the film, with the exception of James Spader. Yeah. Who just looks amazing. Again, it's yeah, it's another, it's another hard thing to contextualize what how that must have come across. So one of the things in the eighties. Yeah, one of the things I was reading about was like um, some other casting choices. Like they they was talking about um, uh, that they wanted to cast uh, Anthony Michael Hall again. I think, and they certainly were looking at Charlie Sheen. Um, for uh for the steph character i think you're right um but no i think they did well but i don't know like maybe yeah maybe in the 80s that wasn't like you couldn't have a character that was just a little too it needed to be very manly or or you couldn't do it at all he just yeah he because there certainly wouldn't be many. If that character, if that oh Robert char- Downey Jr. They were looking at Robbie okay. Downey Jr. Jr. for one of those parts as well. If that character was in the Breakfast Club, he would be difficult to pin down as a as an archetype. 
in the same way that the characters in the Breakfast Club all represent archetypes. Yeah, he's quite unique. He's you know he he dresses provocatively. Yeah. Um. In in kind of old fashioned sharp in sharp fashions. Yep. Um. He's got a, a particular hairstyle. Oh, so it's he's, huge. He's very. Um, he's 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 actually rocking a bit of a fifties sixties look. So. Um, which yeah. which makes me think this is again like so when you're looking at it from a fashion point of view again thanks to my wife um when you're looking at it from that point of view it looks like his fashion has come from his dad's closet so he's gone to his dad's oh. closet and that's what he's wearing maybe maybe this is why andy doesn't do it because her mum's taken off but maybe that's why andy isn't wearing her mum's clothes maybe oh. her mum took all the clothes with her but yeah that's what it looks like to me is that he's wearing his dad's fashions yeah, and he's dressed that. it up as best he can in the 80s yeah. And he's got that whole Elvis haircut thing happening as well. Like it's it's four inches tall and it's quaffed, um, and he's got gel all through it. So he's definitely doing a sixties, fifty sixties greaser thing. Yeah. Because I think at one point he's even doing a white shirt with the suspenders. Yeah. And he, and, and the, that couldn't be more fifty sixties if he tried. The, yeah, I think the the, the, the wise cracking and the and the his, his gesturing is very. Uh, yeah, it's animated. Like yeah. yeah, it's it's well maybe maybe in the eighties they just weren't ready for that kind of. That kind of you know craziness because Jim Carrey would do would do that in the nineties and the early two thousands. Yeah, sure. That's what made him a squillion a squillion of sure. dollars. You know, let set him up to be the the weird anti vaxxer he is today. Um, but yeah, he's he. I don't know. Maybe maybe in the eighties they weren't ready for. That. I mean, we are talking about the eighties when they preferred to just make jokes about people with HIV instead of actually doing well, something about it. And that's what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if the movie had been made ten years later, and if I knew more about romantic comedies, I could probably name one where he would be the gay best friend. He would be the gay best friend. He Maybe that's what they were going he for. Wouldn't need yeah. to be into her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would just be. He would be the quirky gay best friend. He'd be the quirky gay best friend. Yeah, which is interesting. Who, who also suffers from unrequited love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he loves some for, rich kid or whatever. Yeah, not for the protagonist. Yeah. So um, another movie. Um, uh, we should probably talk about it um, separately in a different podcast. But the, a movie that James Spader and Andrew McCarthy did just a year before was Mannequin. Yeah. Um, and that is actually. I've I've only I certainly saw it for the first time just very recently. That is actually a half decent film, but it has a flamboyantly gay char- character in it. This this um this tall black man with um red um vinyl jackets and huge sunglasses and the over the top way of speaking and the oh girl you know it's like mm. it's it's proto um, RuPaul almost mm. you know it's it's so flamboyant it's on fire. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, they made a sequel to Mannequin, uh, where none of the original cast, which concluded Andrew McCarthy, James Spader, Kim Cattrall, um, none of them returned. But this flamboyant gay character did. Um, and Weird. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Um, so that's the the one that they managed to get back to make another one. But yeah, it's the 80s. I think there were plenty of other examples where there were like gay characters. or But they're if they're gay, they are really gay. They're like, yeah. there's no... There's no, um, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, there's no Omar from The Wire where you know he's very right. masculine, right. but he's gay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're yeah. all wildly, wildly gay. Yeah, yeah, effeminate. Yeah, hugely effeminate. But I, I, I'm not sure when they delegalized. Oh, I think in many places in the states it was still quite illegal to be gay in the '80s. But right. anyway, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe the studio executives went, oh, he's a bit, he's a bit, he's a bit gay, isn't he? But. Maybe, and maybe that's just what John Cryer was going for. He just thought, how how can can I make this character but still have him um, 
fit the fit the heterosexual mold. Mold. Yeah, maybe. Is because because he would have been scripted. He needed to be in love with. Uh, he needed and to be in love with Andy. Being in love with Andy. He obviously, yeah. he wanted. There was something in him, and he wanted to wanted to make this character this way. Oh uh, yeah, from from all accounts, ninety percent of what you see of that character is because of John Cryer. Yeah. Like I don't think he was directed to do that. I think he did that, and they just let the camera roll. Um, yeah, he's amazing. I, 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 I don't know how he isn't a bigger star today, and I don't know how he wound up playing um, second fiddle to Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men. He should be a huge star in his own right. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how we went on to be supporting character for so long. He, he was amazing. He was the best thing about that film. Mm. Mm. All right, let's wrap it up, Craig. Yeah. What's the verdict? Uh, I want it to be verging on greatness. There are moments of greatness in it, but uh, no, I think this is wallowing in mediocrity. Yeah, I I agree. It's mm. it's, it's too far off. Uh, there are too many. Uh, the the story runs out of steam. The conflicts aren't really aren't really real. And not realized, and they're yeah. not they're not they're not wrapped up. And I don't want anyone to give me any guff about how in real life things aren't wrapped up neatly. No, yeah. this is a story in a film. It, it needs it needs some resolution. Yeah. And I really want to see a sequel. I want to see everything fall apart tomorrow um, in this this pink fantasy fairy tale. But yeah, that's yep. yeah yeah well long in mediocrity. So. All right, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank uh, you. Hit us up on Twitter. Tell us what movie you think is verging on greatness. And I think we are on. actually um, at verging on greatness. At verging on greatness. Tell yeah. us, tell us a movie that's, that you think is verging on greatness. Maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about it next time. Mm-hmm. And uh, until then, see if we can figure out where where it all went wrong. <laughs> until then, loyal listener, uh, you be cool. Yeah, and so on.